I want to acknowledge all of you who are watching from all over the world, and I just want to thank you for tuning in. Uh, I also want to take some time just to wish all of our moms, both our natural moms and our spiritual moms, just a very, very happy Mother's Day today. I want to acknowledge all of the love, all of the effort, all of the strength that they have poured into our lives. Uh, we wouldn't be who we are today, and we wouldn't even be here today uh, without your presence in our lives. And I think it is amazing that we get to take one day out of our year to honor our moms and their sacrifice. And my husband thought that it would be a good idea for me to work that day. So here I am. But it's okay. I don't want you to think that I'm bitter. I'm not. I've just been staying up late at night selling his things. But I have to say as a mom that quarantine has definitely changed me. It's given me a whole different perspective on parenting. For example, uh, I now understand why my mom would lock the doors when my sister and I would play outside when we were little. It makes sense. And before quarantine, I couldn't understand why animals in the wild would eat their young. But now I'm like, hmm, seems reasonable. And I know that my teens uh, are not children anymore. They're teenagers. But uh, I still get tired of all their questions. You know, like, when are we going to eat? And how long are you going to keep us locked outside? And I'm like, how long until you can move out? But there's a lot of pressure these days to keep it together. Or at least make it look like you're keeping it together. Everyone's always asking me, hey, how you doing? You doing okay? You keeping it together? Have you made bread yet? But moms have the added stress of not just having to keep themselves together. They also have to keep their families and their homes together. And sometimes the pressure to keep up the appearances can be a little bit overwhelming. Uh, by the way, can I just say this? Can we just settle down on all the life hack videos that we're pushing on people? You, you, know, you know the ones I'm talking about. The, the ones where, like, people snap their fingers and, like, in one second, you know, whatever they pulled out of the oven is perfect and everything is, like, neat and tidy and there's no mess, like, anywhere, you know? Because I'm pretty sure that their cake blew up in the oven just like it blew up in mine. I, I actually banned those videos from my house because I don't want my family knowing that there are better moms out there than me. I like to keep my ex <laughs> their expectations low. <laughs> you know, don't set the bar too high. But quarantine has changed things for us. It's changed the playing field. Now everyone has to live like a stay-at-home mom. We've all become stay-at-home moms. We're now living and working in close quarters with our people. Our family members have become our new co-workers. And what we found out is 
is that stay-at-home moms, they have the hardest job ever. And the reason why it's so hard is because it never ends. There is no punch-out clock. Now, we didn't choose this. We didn't vote for this. In fact, we didn't even get a say in how this would all go down. Without much warning at all, we have been catapulted into a completely different way of living. Suddenly, pursuing our careers, our education, maybe job promotions, or, or even growing our businesses, it's, it's just not really happening anymore. Everything we knew to be normal just stopped. And for the first time in our lives, we are living in globally unstable times, frightening times. And the worst part about it is no one really knows when it's all going to end. Things in our world are shifting, and it feels like the shifting has been unrelenting. Now, the concept of being shifted or, or shaken, this is not a new one for us as Christians. We've read about this before. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 26 and 27 says this. When God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. But now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things will remain. Now, even though we know this in our head, and we've read this scripture before many times, I'm sure, we've never really known this to be a reality in our world. And it's been hard. It's been hard emotionally. I know you're battling with grief, with loss with depression, with fear. I know you're worried about your resources running out before this thing ends. And you're worried about what is life going to look like after quarantine. And I know you're having a hard time because the things that you used to do and the ways that you used to find value and significance have been taken away. There is a great shifting in our world systems. And this has caused a great sifting in our own personal life systems. Listen to the definition of the word sift. To go through a sieve or a strainer so as to remove lumps or large particles. To examine something thoroughly so as to isolate that which is most important or useful. To separate that which needs to be discarded from something which is not to be discarded. Does this describe your life right now? Have you felt strained, isolated, stripped of things that you used to have? 
I, I know that's how I feel. But the reality is, it feels like we're being shaken. And it's uncomfortable. The purpose of shaking is to unstick and separate things that shouldn't be in the mix. To remove the shakable things from the unshakable things. So that when it's over, what you're left with is only the things that cannot be shaken. But there's this psychological struggle that's been brewing inside of us during this process. And the struggle is, why are we being shaken? And what should we be doing now? And what is God calling me to do? And where do I find my place of significance in this season? If you have your Bible with you or handy, you can turn to the book of Esther. I'm just going to give you a little bit of the background story of what was going on in Esther's world. Esther was a Jewish orphan that was living in exile in Persia. And she was living during the reign of a certain king, and his name was King Ahasuerus. And this story takes place about 460 years before Jesus was born. Now, Esther had a cousin named Mordecai, and Mordecai uh, was actually raising her as his own daughter because Esther didn't have uh, a mom and dad. Like us, without much warning, she found herself catapulted into a lifestyle that she hadn't known before. She was thrown into palace life, and she was made to undergo 12 months of preparation because she was a candidate to become the next queen. King Ahasuerus uh, booted out uh, Queen Vashti because she dishonored him. And so he was looking for a new queen. And so all of the virgins were gathered up from the provinces of Persia, and they were brought to the palace, and they were given these treatments and these times of preparation to get them ready so that uh, he could decide which one of them would be his next queen. Now, she had never known palace life before. It was completely foreign to her. Now, at the same time as this whole process was happening, there was a certain government official named Haman. And Haman uh, hated Mordecai. And the reason is, is because Mordecai refused to bow down and pay him homage or pay him respect or, or, or pay him his due of what he thought that he um, should have. And, and Mordecai wouldn't do it. And so because of this, Haman hated him. And he didn't just hate him. He decided he, he hated all Jewish people. And so he conspired to make a law that would destroy every single Jewish person in the land. 
Now, the thing about Persia is once a law had been made, it could not be taken back. It could not be revoked. No one could change that law, not even the king. Now, when the news of this law reached all of the provinces in Persia, there were 127 provinces in Persia. When news of, of this law that he made uh, reached all of the Jewish people in these provinces, there was understandably great confusion in the land. In one day, their whole world was turned upside down. Everything they knew to be normal just stopped. It was a time of incredible depression and fear and mourning. Jewish people were, um, they were crying and weeping and wailing. They were wearing sackcloth, which is just rags, itchy rags. And, and they were um, laying in ashes. They were in mourning, uh, obviously, because uh, this, this law spelled out their doom. And even though Esther did actually become queen, she did not have the power to change the law. Now, Mordecai came to her and begged her to go before the king and to plead for the salvation of her people. But Esther was afraid to do it. And this is why. Um, there was another weird law uh, in Persia. And, and this law was that if you went to approach the king without him first summoning you, uh, you would be automatically put to death. Anyone, didn't matter who you were. But if you tried to see the king and he had not called you into his courtroom or he had not called you into his throne room, uh, he would, you'd be put to death. And the only way that you could survive this death is if the king decided to have mercy on you and extend his golden scepter. So if he held out his golden scepter to you, uh, you would have mercy uh, shown to you and you would not be killed. But it was a dangerous gamble for Esther. And the cost, if things went wrong, is not only would all of her people be destroyed, but she would lose her own life as well. Much like the situation we find ourselves in today, there was nothing that Esther could do to control or change the law for her people. All she could do was respond to it. Now she could either choose to sit back in silence and see how things unfolded, or she could risk her life and approach the king to appeal for the lives of her people. Esther found herself in a situation where she was asked to lead her people in a time of extreme crisis even though she wasn't in charge. And all the preparation, those 12 months and all those beauty treatments and all those classes that she was taking to get her ready to become the queen, 
ended up being for a greater purpose of saving her people. It takes great faith to stand up against the enemy. So how did she find the courage to respond to this situation? How did she rally her faith in such a desperate time? Chapter 4 and verse 16 of Esther tells us what she did. She says to Mordecai, go and gather together all of the Jews of Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will do the same. And then, though it is against the law, I will go in to see the king. If I must die, I must die. She fasted and prayed. She cried out to God for three days straight. Without this kind of battle preparation, she knew she wouldn't have enough faith to go before the king. And she knew she would certainly fail. You see, her fear was defeated during her time of prayer and fasting. Before she had even spoken one word to the king, she took it to the battlefield. Years ago, Pastor Todd and I decided that we were going to take a group of 17 teenagers to Mexico for a missions trip. We were young, we were newly married, and we had absolutely no experience raising children. But for some reason, parents happily signed over custody of their precious little heirs so that we could take them out of Canada to a completely foreign country. So for 14 days, we had full guardianship of this wild group of teenagers. These were now my people. Now the trip was both challenging and amazing. It was challenging because there were a total of 19 of us with one interpreter. We had no vehicle. We had no hotel accommodations. We didn't know what our contact person in Mexico would even look like. We found ourselves in a, a very small town called Acatlipa. It was a place that none of us knew. And it was a place that rarely saw foreign visitors. So uh, this is where we found ourselves. Now, it was amazing because of what God did in us and through us as we were there. But there were issues. There, there were some serious issues. Like, uh, we all got food poisoning. Um, we all had bathroom issues. There was dehydration. Some of us uh, faced a gang with guns. There was a, a town witch who was cursing us as we were trying to clear the land and help the church build an extension of their church property. Uh, we were using a, a van. It was a, a, I guess you could call it a van. It was, it was a vehicle that was large, and it had 
um, no seats in it, and it was missing the side door. And this was our vehicle that we were <laughs> transporting these teenagers around Mexico in. Um, and, and believe me, uh, we were flying down the highway uh, with no seats and no door on the side of the vehicle. We had to deal with scorpions, uh, centipedes, ants, uh, wild, crazy teenagers. It was a scene, okay? It was a scene. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, but the real tricky part was that while we were there, a law had taken effect in Mexico that we were unaware of. And basically, this law stated that no uh, foreign visitor was going to be allowed to leave the country. They couldn't leave the border of Mexico unless they had on them this teeny, tiny, little pink piece of paper. It's like a little pink slip. It's like a little receipt. It was just this teeny, tiny, little piece of paper. And um, it was something that they gave to us as we entered Mexico. Um, but it was something that we needed to have if we were going to leave the country. Now, let me put this into perspective for you. Imagine giving your teenagers instructions to hang on to a very, very important piece of paper, just a little one. Uh, and they, had to, they have to hang on to it for two weeks. Um, but they're playing video games with their headphones on uh, as you're trying to give them these instructions. Now, let me take it up another notch. Imagine that you're trying to give them these very important instructions as they're playing their video games with their headphones on, but now you're instructing them in a foreign language. And that's basically the situation that we found ourselves in. Now, unfortunately, we didn't become aware of this law until we were uh, racing uh, through the airport in Mexico to try and clear their customs and board our flight back to the U.S. Um, now, we didn't make this law, and we certainly didn't uh, want it to go into effect when it did. We couldn't change the fact that it was the law. There was nothing that we could do about it. But here we found ourselves in this situation where we needed to step up and to lead our people, but we weren't in charge. How do you find the courage to lead in a time of crisis? You pray. You cry out to God, and you appeal to him for his help. And nothing makes you pray harder than when you know you're about to explain to some parents that you just left their precious heirs in a foreign country instead of bringing them home safely with you. I didn't make the law. I didn't choose for it to take effect when it did. But I was still responsible 
to lead through the crisis. Now, I know sometimes in the midst of schoolwork and laundry and meal preparation and paying bills and being shut down and feeling isolated, it's difficult to see the bigger picture. It's hard to believe that God still has a plan for you when everything that you look at in your world has been shut down. And maybe you feel like you've lost your significance because the, the life that you used to have, it, it just stopped. But could it be that during this season, you've also gained something? Maybe you didn't realize this before, but can I tell you that what you've gained is influence. You are now the most influential voice to your people, your family, your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers. People everywhere are looking for the steady faith and the calm voice of a leader. More than ever, people are searching for the truth. They're looking for fearless leadership. And the good news is we've been created for such a time as this. This is our Esther moment. God is looking for his unshakable people who will be able to stand and lead in times of crisis. This is our season for God to use us to lead our people through difficult times. Now, we don't know all the details of what God is preparing for us. We don't know what his plans are, but we know this. We know that there is power in the plan that God has prepared for us. Maybe some of you have been preparing for some big moments in your life. You want to get married. You want to further your education or your career. You want to become a parent. Or you want to launch a business. These are big moments. Esther was preparing to become queen. Maybe you thought you were signing up for princess classes. But nobody told you that you were entering a battlefield. And it kind of feels like you were tricked. Kind of feels like someone pulled the carpet out from underneath of you, you know. This isn't what you thought you were preparing for. And nobody warned you that difficult decisions would have to be made. We know that Esther wrestled with her choice because it came with a cost. It's difficult to make a decision, and to choose something that you know is going to cost you greatly. Maybe it'll cost you your reputation or your position. Or how about relationships? Maybe it'll cost you your job or your resources or, or even your life. But here you are now, 
in this season, in this time, and a decision of how you are going to respond to the situation at hand needs to be made. And if you're sitting back and you're waiting because you're afraid of what you may lose, or you're hoping that the conditions will change, they'll become calm and things will line up perfectly before you have to step out and do anything, you're going to miss your moment to lead. Leadership isn't needed so much in times of peace and stability and prosperity as it's needed in times of chaos and war. And I know it's not what you signed up for. It's not how you thought it would look. But I'll tell you a secret. It's never going to be exactly what you signed up for. But let me let me shift your perspective. What if all along God has been preparing you for something bigger? What if God is preparing you to be used in unexpected ways and in unexpected places? What if he wants you to be light in dark places? Or what if he wants you to bring truth and justice into situations? Or, or what if he wants you to lead your, your family and your friends and your neighbors to Jesus? What if there are bigger things and greater things, things that you have ever even imagined? What, what if God has been preparing you for things beyond what you've been thinking? Ephesians 3.20 says this, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than what we might ask or think. God has infinitely more than what we could ask or even think of. That's the kind of God we serve. We've been thrown into difficult circumstances, and we can either shrink back and remain silent, or we can take the risk and allow God to use us to lead in the midst of a crisis. The question is not, what should I be doing now? The question is, what will you decide to do? Will you choose this day to let God use you so that he can bring about his greater purposes and his greater plan in the world through your life? Or will you shrink back and remain silent and just watch how things unfold? Right now, right where you are, as you are hearing my voice, if you are saying yes, that's me. I want God to use me in greater ways than even I've imagined. I want to pray for you. I don't care if you're in your pajamas. I don't care if your kids are yelling and screaming. It doesn't matter. Right now, I want to pray for you. Just close your eyes and lift your hands. 
Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are speaking even now, even when we're all scattered and isolated. God, your voice is carrying right into our living rooms. And God, you are calling us and you are searching for your unshakable people. And I thank you, Father, that there are people who are coming alive and awakened to your voice. They're coming alive to your call. And they're saying, me, God, pick me. Yes, I'll do it, God. I want to do it, Father. Don't pass me by, but use me, oh God. I want to be used today. I want to be the leader you're looking for. I want to be the one that's going to lead my people out of the crisis and into safety. I want to be used for your glory, oh God. And Lord, I pray for every heart that is responding right now and saying yes. God, that you would pour your spirit out upon them. Lord, I, I pray that all fear would be banished. I pray that all um, depression would go. I pray that any hindrance that might be attacking their minds, that might be trying to cause them to shrink back, Lord, in the name of Jesus, I command that to go. And I pray that your Holy Spirit and the power of your presence would come right now and would fill them from the inside out and give them the strength they need and the courage they need to step up and take their place on the earth today and to lead with confidence, knowing that you're backing us up, Father. You've got a plan, oh God, for greater victory and greater deliverance than we could ever imagine, and you're not going to let us fail. And I thank you for that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.